Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians 15. And if you uh, don't have a Bible with you, you can take the one, uh, the Pew Bible in front of you. There's a page number there, 961. And if you don't have a Bible uh, at home, uh, we would encourage you to take that home with you as a gift from St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church. 1 Corinthians 15. Now, this chapter is uh, uh, considered to be, it's got a nickname, and that, that would be the, the resurrection chapter. And uh, every part of it talks about uh, the, the resurrection, some aspect of it. And the part we're going to look at today is where where Paul addresses, evidently there were some in Corinth who were saying, well, there is no resurrection. And so he's addressing them specifically in terms of what the devastating impact would be if there is no resurrection if it's not true. So let's pick up with the the 12th verse. It says this, Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We were even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, Your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, long ago, uh, you saw fit to have these words communicated to a a church in Corinth, struggling evidently with that big question, the question of, is there a resurrection? And that was long ago, and yet you saw fit for... This 
portion of your word to be preserved so that we today could hear again from you. And that's what we would ask. Speak to our minds and to our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today in this room, there are at least three kinds of people. And by the way, I, I could say this any Sunday because this is always going to be the, the case here at St. Andrews. One, one group of people are, are those who believe the resurrection and it affects your entire life. Second group of people would be those who say they believe the resurrection and yet never really think much about it and don't really see any way it necessarily applies and so you don't really think about it until Easter or maybe even only on Sundays. And then there's a third group, those who don't believe that the resurrection took place. I believe that this section that I just read is written especially for those of you that find yourselves in one of those last two groups. When you look into your heart of hearts, you say, yeah, that, that's where I am. In all honesty, I'm, I'm in group two or I'm in group three. This passage is especially for you. But I want to say something before we ever get into this passage. I'm glad you're here. You are always welcome at St. Andrews. Whether you're in group number two, on the fence about the impact of the resurrection, or whether you have questions whether or not there is a resurrection. By the way, if you're in group one, I'm glad you're here too, okay? That's all good. So let's take a look at, at this passage and, and uh, see what, what he's saying. Now, I want to set it up a little bit because uh, he has already uh, made the big point that the resurrection is at the very core of the gospel in the first few verses of uh, um, 1 Corinthians 15. He says this in the first verse, now I'd remind you, brothers, if, uh, of the gospel I preached to you, which you receive. So he's talking to them about the gospel, in which you stand, which you are being saved, in which you hold fast to the word I preached you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, and here he's about to summarize the gospel. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died. That's a part of the gospel that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried, that's another part of the gospel, and that he was raised on the third day 
in accordance with the scriptures. And then he goes on and he begins to talk about the appearances of Jesus after he walked out of the tomb. So he's emphasizing, look, you want to know what the gospel is? The gospel is this, and the resurrection is right smack in the middle of it. In fact, over in Romans chapter 8, he says it even in even a stronger way. He says this, Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, and who is at the right hand of God, and who's indeed interceding for us. So he's saying, look, that's the essence of the gospel. And he has established that in terms of his view even before he addresses, well, what if there is no resurrection? Now, in terms of uh, Christianity as a whole, let me read to you from uh, Michael Green. He says this, Christianity does not hold the resurrection to be one among many tenets of belief. Without faith in the resurrection, there would be no Christianity at all. The Christian church would never have begun. The Jesus movement would have fizzled out like a damp squib. He's British, okay? A damp, uh, that'd be a little firecracker that got damps. He says it would have just fizzled out like that with his execution. Christianity stands or falls with the truth of the resurrection. Once disprove it, and you've disposed of Christianity. He's laying it all out there. This is, uh, this is what it is. Philip Schaff, who was a church historian, said this, the resurrection of Christ is therefore emphatically a test question upon which depends the truth or falsehood of the Christian religion. It's either the greatest miracle or the greatest delusion which history records. So let's, let's get into this. Let's talk about the impact if the resurrection is not true. So you have a group, according to uh, verse 12, somebody in this community of Corinth that is saying, no, there, there, there is no resurrection. Some of them, evidently, by his argument, still want to say, well, Jesus is raised, but... But in terms of us, there is no resurrection. And so he begins by stating, I think, the most obvious. And that is that if there's no resurrection, then Christ hasn't been raised either. Obvious, he states it twice. Not even Christ has been raised. Well, it has to be stated that way, though. Denying the resurrection of Christ puts him in a whole different category. And, and what he says you're giving up is you are giving up worshiping a living God. And here's what you have. You have somebody that's in in the same category as Muhammad or Buddha or Confucius, Krishna, or even Moses, 
If there is no resurrection, if Christ is not raised, then all you have is another dead prophet. Let's call it what it is. And he says, you've lost a living God. The second thing he says is that uh, preaching is useless. Verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. You might notice I didn't even leave room for an amen after I said preaching is useless there. Thank you for not <laughs> chiming in all of, all of the sudden. Although I will tell you something about yourselves here. Um, when I'm away and Mark or Jason preaches, inevitably, the next week, one or more of you will come to me and say, you know, last week was one of your better sermons. <laughs> Isn't that mean? <laughs> so I am just releasing you and saying, I, I've heard that. You don't even have to say that anymore. I, we, can just, we can just all stipulate that, okay? But that's, that's, that's really what... What Paul is saying here, he is saying, and, and we could apply it to what's going on today. We had a service earlier today. There are churches all over, all around us that are talking about the resurrection literally all over the world, and not just on Easter, but every Sunday. There are those that walk into the pulpit and they preach, and he says, if Christ hasn't been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And you know what? I absolutely agree with that statement. If Christ hasn't been raised, then I got nothing to say to you. Nothing. Why, why would you want to get up? I'm, I'm not so arrogant as to think that if there's no resurrection, you would want to come hear what I have to say. And he's saying, we got to cope with that. If you want to give up on the resurrection, understand that. Thirdly, if there's no resurrection, then the apostles are givers of fake news. I was so happy to be able to use that, okay? <laughs> They're givers of fake news. Uh, he emphasizes verse 15, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. In other words, not only preachers engaging as in what is useless, but he's saying, look, we as the apostles, we're the ones that said we saw him. And we're just lying if that's the case, if there is no resurrection. Think about the apostles. Every one of them went to their death, some of them very horrible, torturous deaths. Every one of them went to their death 
saying, I saw him. I saw him on the cross. I saw him being put in a grave, and he was really dead. And I saw him afterwards, and he was alive. Will you do that? Will you, will you lie that way if you know it's not true? Some, one of them, maybe all of them, because they were weak men, would have given in if it wasn't true. One commentator put it succinctly, many die, man uh, may die for a conviction, but man will not die for a concoction. I think that's true. That makes sense. And they weren't just liars. They were lying about God. The fourth thing Paul brings up, if there's no resurrection, is that faith in Christ is worthless. He had already talked about uh, verse uh, the, about preaching being in vain and so on. And at the end of verse 14, and your faith is in vain. Then verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. When I was a, a young pastor and I was uh, actually still in seminary, Connie and I, the seminary was in St. Louis, and we would drive down to southern Illinois every Sunday to work in, in a church, 75 miles each way. And uh, uh, we'd stay there all day and then go back home and go to school during the week. And uh, so on, on Sunday, the way it would work, and this was a, a farming and mining community, and uh, so they would have us over uh, for lunch, and naturally, and usually there were several generations, uh, they would invite them all in every week, wonderful fried chicken. I mean, it was, you can imagine, and then a few years later, I had a heart attack, but that's, that's okay. That's a... <laughs> so I, I recall many of those wonderful meals, but there's, there's one incident I uh, recall being with a family, and uh, they were all there around the table having a discussion. I'm sure it was uh, about Christianity, because I was there, uh, but the patriarch's name was Arnold. I don't remember a lot about the rest of the family. And Arnold was... Uh, uh, not a highly educated man, but he was a man with a lifetime of wisdom. Arnold would uh, wear overalls. I, I never saw Arnold without uh, overalls during the week. And on Sunday, it was his good overalls. It was his church overalls. Well, the discussion was going on, and either his son or son-in-law, who obviously was an irritant in the family, uh, it, what your family has one too? If you so, they're they're discussing this, and uh, the the son says, "Well, I've got a friend, and he's in a cult, and they basically believe just like us, except they don't believe in the resurrection." Arnold spoke, and when Arnold spoke his few words, it would get quiet. And he said, 
if he doesn't believe the resurrection, he might as well not believe anything. That's it. He was right. He summed it all up. And that's what Paul is saying. Faith in Christ is worthless if there is no resurrection. You've lost your faith. And then he ratchets it up even more, Paul does, where he says if there's no resurrection, then Christians are unforgiven. Verse 17, the last part. You're still in your sins. So Paul is pointing out the utterly crucial connection between what Jesus did on the cross and him being put in the grave and then him uh, walking out of the grave after he had been dead, walking out of the grave alive. And he's saying... Look, if that didn't happen, if he stayed in the grave, then you're still in your sins. And that's what makes Christianity utterly unique among world religions. It makes it different. We say because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of his work, because of the meaning of his life, his death and resurrection, that our sins are taken care of and other religions don't have that. I saw an interesting comparison between Christianity and other world religions. Very simple but profound. Religions are where God requires you to send your son to die for him. Christianity is a faith in which God sent his son to die for you. Do you get it? That's the difference. Religions are saying, you got to give your life and give your son's life if you have any hope to get to God. And Christianity is God saying, you can't get to me. And so I'm going to come to you. I'm sending my son so that you might have life. The sixth thing Paul says is if there's no resurrection, those who died trusting Christ are lost. Verse 18, those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. So he's saying, look, there is, if there's no resurrection, there's no comfort when it comes to death. Not only for you, but, but for those who've gone before you in death. You won't see them again. Let's get practical. You can't say, well, they're better off because they're not. You can't say they've gone to a better place because there is no other place. If there is no resurrection, he's saying, you've lost your future there is no future. And that leads him to his last point in this section, which is that Christians are to be pitied. He said, if, verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, 
we are of all people most to be pitied. Too often, as Christians, there are those that will, will hate Christians or look down upon them or just totally ignore them. And Paul is saying, you don't need to hate us. If there's no resurrection, pity us because we're pitiful. Everything we say we believe is untrue if there is no resurrection. And then he goes further down in verse 32. He says, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. He's saying if, if there's no resurrection, then you might as well be miserable in this life Because there is nothing else. Now you might say, this is rather depressing, Dale. It is. And it should be. And Paul meant it that way under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So what are you going to do? Where are you going to go for hope? Because if there is no resurrection, there is no hope. So Paul makes it clear. He wanted people to see the full ramifications of what they're giving up if they say there's no resurrection. And then he gets to his greater conclusion. And he says in verse 20, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So here's the application of what he has just said. Christ has been raised from the dead and so Jesus is alive. Preaching is not in vain. The apostles were right. Believers are forgiven. I, I have to read to you from Gerhardus Voss what I think is just a stunning statement. He says, when Christ rose on Easter morning, he left behind him in the depths of the grave every one of our sins. There they remain buried from the sight of God so completely that even in the day of judgment they will not be able to rise up against us anymore. Is that good news? And so if there is a resurrection, those who died trusting Christ are alive. And if you trust Christ as well, you will see them again and rejoice before the face of the Savior. And so, don't pity us. Join us. Because he's alive. So, here's the question, though. What convinced Paul? You may say, so, I know he was in unbelief. I know he was persecuting the church. What took him from that point to here declaring 
that Jesus is alive. What changed his mind? Well, he states, and I won't read them this year, but uh, uh, about the appearances, the evidences. There's lots of evidences about uh, the resurrection of Christ in verses 4 through 7 and so on. Paul understood that there were appearances. He understood there was an empty grave. He understood about the grave clothes. He understood that there were changed lives, that there was a church rising up of people. He saw all that, but he was still persecuting the church. So what changed? It was a personal encounter. It was Paul on the road to Damascus where he says in 1 Corinthians 15, last of all, he appeared to me. And that's where Jesus confronted him with the truth that he was alive. And so some of you will say, well, that's great for Paul but what about me? Well, as it were, all of us stand on our own road to Damascus. Today, no matter how you came in those doors, no matter what your belief was, no matter which category you in your head said, yeah, that's me, you, in essence, entered the road to Damascus because you're being confronted by the exact same truths and the exact same living Lord that Paul was. One theologian put it this way, the evidence for Jesus' resurrection is so strong that nobody would question it except for two things. First, it's a very unusual event. And second, if you believe it happened, you have to change the way you live. And that's it, isn't it? There is no room for being on the fence about the resurrection. If it's true, the only response is to trust in Christ alone for eternal life. If it's false, there is no hope. Let's bow together. Thank you, Lord, that there indeed is hope because Jesus is alive. Will you, Lord, today help us to look into our heart of hearts and and then give us faith to believe that on that morning Jesus burst out of the tomb for us and then enable us to respond 
with glorious worship here and in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.